Good evening, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you. Hope you enjoyed the snow. That was terrible. But we're okay. It's spring again. Um, we, are, we are in our series on the Lord's Prayer that we've been going through all, all this semester. And uh, we, are, we are coming tonight to the, to the end of, of, the, of the Lord's Prayer. And um, we're going we're gonna to continue to talk about prayer for the, next, for, the, for the rest of the semester. But this is sort of the last part of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, if you've been coming each week and you are looking at the Bible, you'll notice that uh, verse 13 of Matthew 6 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that is the end of what is in your Bible, depending on what Bible translation you have. Um, some of you, like if you have a King James Bible, it will have the part that we're going to talk about today. But there's this conclusion that we tend to pray in the church. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, and, I, and I just want to say to her as a, as a caveat to this, um, there's, there's a reason why Christians pray this part of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and this, this uh, part of the prayer, which is not in the earliest uh, text from Matthew and Luke that had the Lord's Prayer, uh, was probably said by Christians uh, from the earliest times, even uh, of Jesus' life. And there's a lot of evidence that uh, Jesus may have said this, even though it's not in your Bible. Some, some other ancient Christian documents from the first century uh, do, do have this. Uh, it's, it's also something that is uh, it's safe, meaning it's like super biblical. Um, there's a passage from 1 Chronicles 29. I'll, I'll read to you this. It may sound familiar. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So you don't have to worry about praying this is what I'm trying to tell you, okay? Uh, if you want to talk more about this and why it's not in your Bible or why I would say it, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm not going to make everyone nerd out with me right now, though. So just talk to me after, okay? Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Lord's Prayer from, from Matthew 6. It's behind me, and it's on your handout, and, uh, and I'll include this last part. Uh, this, is, um, this is the prayer we've been looking at. It's the prayer of Jesus, and, and we've, we've been reminded each week that uh, this isn't just Jesus' idea for us or suggestion for us. This is Jesus' private prayer life with God. This is His breath. This is His pulse. This is that secret that he has with the Father that he invites us into. And so we come to the Lord's Prayer, which is our prayer from Matthew 6. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me, let me pray for our time. Lord Jesus, I, I do ask that you would be near to us. We, uh, we long to have this kind of breath, this kind of pulse that is tight with you and connected with you. But we need help. So Spirit, please be at work through your word right now. Uh, in us and through us, so that we might know you and love you and love one another. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I was up in northern Virginia this weekend. My brother lives in Alexandria, so my family went up to hang with him, and, and my parents were there as well. 
And uh, we had ambitious outdoor plans for Saturday, which were thwarted. And so we went to the extension of the Air and Space Museum, which is uh, by Dulles Airport, which is, there's like the main Air and Space Museum. And then there's this, basically this, this two massive hangars that they have built that house all kinds of aircraft. And uh, I, I'm like one of those kids who, who grew up like reading about military airplanes, and I think it's cool, and I'm geeking out hard the whole time. Um, there's an SR-71 Blackbird there. This is like a, an air, a jet airplane that goes like 2,200 miles per hour. That the government will tell us about. Could have been faster. We don't know. Maybe. Uh, the space shuttle Discovery is there. Uh, I saw the space shuttle. I was there, me and the space shuttle, in a, in a room together. Um, the, uh, the Enola Gay is there, which uh, is less like maybe cool, but historically super significant. This is the plane that dropped the atomic bombs on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II. Uh, there's there's uh, the Concorde is there. This is the, the only supersonic jetliner, commercial jet ever. So it's just, it's just pretty cool, a, a lot of other stuff. But the plane that I was most excited to see is this uh, F-4 Phantom. This is a, a Vietnam War era fighter jet. Are you guys, are you guys tracking with me? Are you, Ian is with me. Is anybody else with me? Here's the point, okay? I was really excited to see this old plane from the 60s because I have a, I have a friend in Richmond uh, at the church that we are going to be going to named David Van Esselsen, and he was a Marine Corps pilot. And the plane that's at the museum is the actual plane that he flew in when he was stationed in the Philippines. Not a plane like his plane. It's like he was in that plane. And so he was telling me about this, and I was like, I got to get a selfie by Dave Van Esselsen's F-4 so I can send it to him, right? And, uh, and he's told me about, about being a, a, a pilot in the Marines, and he says that the, the, the most challenging thing about it the uh, most challenging thing about being a pilot in his experience is landing a plane on an aircraft carrier at night. Uh, when, when you're landing a plane on an aircraft carrier, I've, I've never done this, okay, but you've got, if you've seen them, you know that there's this long ship and then the runway is kind of tilted to the side. So the ship is moving forward and you're coming at it uh, not in line with the ship, but in line with the runway, which is moving. So your approach is moving sideways the whole time, okay? And you're basically, uh, you don't have enough room. You're landing an airplane on a boat, which is kind of a ridiculous idea, right? But you don't have room to have a, have a landing where you come in and you touch the runway and you slow down, like many of us have experienced if you've ever been on an airplane. You basically have to do what's described as like a controlled crash. You gotta land in a spot about the size of a tennis court in a, in a fighter jet that's like 60 feet long that's going 180 miles per hour, okay? So it's, it's a pretty violent situation. Uh, and so not only is it moving sideways, but the boat is also in the waves. Uh, so it's going up and down. So your runway is moving sideways and it's pitching up and down. And uh, during the daytime, this is really challenging, but you can see it, right? Uh, at nighttime, you can't see it. And this is a, like it's a military ship, right? So they don't have floodlights on the runway. So you see there's no lights on board the ship at all. There's just lights at the very back of the boat. So you can see the back of the boat. And so you have to just rely on kind of like your instincts and this one instrument panel that you have that tells you where you should be. And, and, and it said it's really, he said, even the best pilots in the Navy or the Marine Corps, they never get comfortable with this. It, even the best pilots are terrified every time they try to land on the carrier at night because you can't see and there's nothing to orient you to the direction you should be pointing. And, and I, was, I was struck by this as I reflected on this passage because uh, I kind of think that's what it feels like to be a Christian. Like, we kind of know how to, we kind of know how to fly the plane, right? 
Like if you're a Christian, I know not everyone who comes to RUF is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you, you know that there's a God and he made the world and you know that he loves you and you know that he forgives you and you know that you can pray to him and um, you know you're supposed to love and forgive others and you know you'll be in heaven. Like you, like you know how to fly, right? But when it comes to the craziness of life and how dark it can seem where you don't know what's going on and how the things you're chasing after in life, they actually feel like they're, they're not staying in one point that's like moving targets everywhere. And all of your ambitions and desires and longings are things that you can never quite get a hold of because they keep moving away. And you can't, like that's, we don't have anything to orient us, right? And so we're in this plane and we technically know how to fly, but we don't know which direction we should be pointing. We don't know where to go. And, and these words at the, at the end of the Lord's Prayer from Jesus are, these are our orientation. This is, these are the words that orient us to say, I, I know you know how to fly. I've told you how to pray. This is how it's going to work. Because actually life is dark. Actually life is chaotic. Actually life is stormy and windy and there's big waves and everything is moving around and you can't see where you're going. So this is where you should look. Look here, okay? This, this ending, this, uh, this doxology of praise at the ending of the Lord's Prayer is the thing that orients our life, okay? And I want to look at three ways that it does this. This prayer, it, it, uh, it orients us towards kingdom commitment, it orients us towards kingdom capability, and it orients us towards kingdom comfort, okay? So commitment, capability, and, and comfort. So first, uh, this ending of the Lord's Prayer orients us towards kingdom uh, commitment. Ben, in his sermon on uh, earlier this semester on thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, talked about this, that, that one of the things that we have to, to wrestle with as Christians, is the reality that uh, all the time we are being faced with this conflicting choice, this, this dilemma, this tension and pull in opposite directions between uh, the, the world, the kingdom of the world, and the kingdom of heaven. And, and there's two different ways that we can be oriented here. And, and as it comes to these, this, this passage, which talks about the kingdom and the power and the glory, when it comes to things like power and glory, the way that the world thinks and defines and wields power and glory is very, very different from the way the kingdom of heaven defines and wields power and glory. Uh, in, in the kingdom of this world, in the ways of the world, of your culture, power is, is wielded for domination. Power is wielded for achievement and success. Power is wielded towards uh, self-accumulation. Power is wielded towards personal victory and gain, right? That's what power is, is used for. And in the kingdom of the world, those who have power, they use it for their own glory, right? That's what it's for, right? And, and you kind of, this is the sort of thing that, uh, that villains say in cheesy parts of movies where they say things like, there is no good and evil. There is only power and those too afraid to wield it, right? That's, that's actually what we believe in our culture, okay? Even though that's a cheesy part of the movie. But in the kingdom of heaven, of which Jesus Christ is the king, power and glory work very, very different. Because in the kingdom of heaven, power is used not for the good of yourself, but for the good of your neighbor. In the kingdom of heaven, power is used to lift up the lowly. In, in the power, uh, power in the kingdom of heaven is used to bless those who are in need. The power in the kingdom of heaven is, is oriented along the 
primary value and priority of the king himself, which is love. And Jesus himself, who is the king of heaven and earth, he himself refuses to use his power for his own glory, even though he's the one true king. That's one of the reasons why throughout the scriptures you've got these stories where people are coming and they're trying to make Jesus king and he like slips away. Or where he tells people, hey, don't mention my name. Don't tell everyone who healed you. Even Jesus refuses to work for his own glory. He's always oriented towards God the Father, always. So if you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the challenge that I have for you is, is that you, you cannot maintain a commitment to the kingdom of the world and pray the Lord's Prayer. You can't do it. Praying this prayer, it actually forms you, it actually orients you to make a commitment not to the ways of power of the world, but to the ways of power of the kingdom of heaven. And so I, I want to ask you to consider tonight where the places are in your life where you still find yourself committed to using the things in your life towards that kind of worldly power and glory. So as you think about school and grades, where are you tempted to use that power not for yourself but for your own glory and benefit? When you think about your social media account, when you think about your money, when you think about your body, when you think about the, the profession that you want to go into, there are these places in our lives where we are, yeah, I know how to fly the plane. Right? I know I'm a Christian. I know that matters for my life. But we still are committed to the ways of the world. And, and I want to tell you, I'm not telling you to change. I'm telling you to pray the Lord's Prayer. Because if you do, it will reorient you towards this commitment to God's kingdom, to his power and his glory and his kingdom. And if you say that over and over again, if you say that every day of your life, it will start to do something to you. Okay, It reorients us towards kingdom commitment. The, the second thing tonight is that this uh, prayer orients us towards kingdom uh, capability. Uh, I mentioned that I saw this, the space shuttle discovery. I don't know if you've ever seen like pictures of the shuttle or seen videos of the launch, but usually if you see a video, it's from really far away or you see these pictures of it up in space with some you know, beautiful thing and the, like the earth is in the background, right? And it just seems like it's a very serene thing. And, and you can miss how fast this thing is traveling. Space shuttle is one of the fastest uh, things ever created by man. Uh, when, when, when the engine shut off, the shuttle is going 17,500 miles per hour. You could go from New York City to Los Angeles at that speed in 8 minutes and 23 seconds. I googled that today. Um, it's, it's, incredibly, it's incredibly fast. And if you, look at, if you compare the space shuttle to like what spaceships look like in sci-fi movies, it doesn't look very sleek. It's actually not very aerodynamic. It's this kind of like pudgy, junky thing. So, like, how does it go that fast? Well, the, the answer is just, like, sheer power. It's just sheer power. It's, it's got these three engines on the back. Ask me later. I took a selfie in front of them when I was in the same room as the Space Shuttle Discovery on Saturday morning. It's got these three engines on the back that have a combined power of what would be equivalent to about 37 million horsepower, okay? So that big orange thing you see on the front, that's just the gas tank for the engines. It's just a big tank of gas, okay? And, uh, and then it's got these uh, long white tubes on the side. These are these solid rocket boosters. These are even more powerful. Each of them has got a million pounds of fuel, which it burns up in 241 seconds. So the, the amount of power is just unbelievable. And so there's just, there's just a battle that's going on between gravity and these engines. Like, which one is more capable? And, like, the engines win. It's just stronger. It's just more powerful. I, I love 
thinking about the power of being a Christian. Because there is a battle going on. There's all these battles going on all the time, right? But, but the good news is that uh, Christians don't have to be concerned with how much power they can muster up themselves. They don't have to be concerned with their own capability. It means you don't have to worry about how diligently you are praying. You don't have to worry about how solid your faith is. You actually don't have to worry about it. Because your power, your capability, is not derived from yourself. It's, it's derived from the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's, it's derived from the power of Jesus, who is the King, who is the one in charge. That means that when you, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're not just feeble little you uh, praying the Lord's Prayer. You've got the solid rocket booster power of the Holy Spirit inside of you lifting up your prayers into heaven where there's power. When we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, we're, we're, we're proclaiming, it's not my power. It's not what I'm capable of. It's what you're capable of. And you're calling on the name of Jesus who has power. I, I think this is really important because there are a lot of things in our lives that seem uh, too dark for their light to ever come into them, or, or too broke to get fixed, or too hopeless to have hope. And it can feel like those feeble little moments of prayer when you wake up in the morning or after you turn out, turn out your light at night when you're barely awake and you're like trying to remember to pray, that those little moments are moments of power. That you actually have the capability of the kingdom of God. You're not just you. You're, you're a, a member of the royal family of the kingdom of heaven. And the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in you, lifting up your prayers to heaven where the power is. So people talk about the power of prayer. People talk about does prayer work. It works because God works. It works because God works. And Jesus is lending us his power. He's boosting us up when we come to him in prayer. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, when you say at the end of it, Thy, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, you are actually giving up power. And you are submitting yourself to the, to the greater power, the good power. So when you feel like the pressure is on you to make things happen in faith or in life, I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer. It will, act, it will actually reorient you towards kingdom capability, which is far greater than what you have because it's connected to Jesus Christ. Okay? Kingdom commitment, kingdom capability. Lastly tonight, praying this prayer orients us towards, towards kingdom comfort. Um, here's what I mean by comfort. When, when we've been praying, the, the last few lines, the sec, whole second half of the Lord's Prayer uh, is, uh, is about us, right? Uh, we're praying for our daily needs, our daily bread. We're praying for the forgiveness of our sins, for God to help us forgive others. Uh, we're praying for God to deliver us from temptation and from evil. It's kind of all about us. And then now at the close, our attention is, is directed back uh, to God. For yours, Father in heaven, like we started the Lord's Prayer. For yours, Father, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We, we can never forget that the, the chief aim and purpose of prayer is God himself. The reason that we pray, if you're, if you're not a Christian, this might, this might be news to you. The reason that Christians pray is not so that God will do what we ask. The reason that Christians pray is so that we might commune with God, connect with God, be united to God. 
If God knows what we need before we say it, why do we still ask for what we need? If God is already moving towards us with mercy and forgiveness, why do we ask him to forgive us our sins? You ever thought about that? We don't pray in order that he will do what we say. We pray in order that we might abide in him and his love. The aim of prayer is the comfort of the presence of Jesus himself who is with us. And he's with us in this prayer in a special way because it's his prayer. It's his breath. It's his pulse. It's his secret with the Father. When, when, when I look at the, around at the world, and when you look around at the world, and you, and you have a sense of that battle between the, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven, I, I don't know about you, it sure feels like the kingdom of the world is winning, doesn't it? Because you've, you've got war and death in Ukraine, and you've got corruption and injustice in our own communities, and you've got abuse and manipulation and harm, and you've got loneliness and depression and anxiety, you've got all these places where we're, we're disappointed, all these longings that we have that aren't fulfilled, it kind of feels like, God, where are you in all this? I, I'm praying for these things. Why aren't you doing it? Do you know where God is? He's right here. He's right here. He actually wants more for you than just for your circumstances in this world to get better. Sometimes it can feel like if he really loved us, he would give us that. I'm telling you, he wants more for you. He wants more for me. He wants us to experience the joy and the peace, the comfort of his presence when we come to him in the midst of the places in our lives where there's darkness. He longs for you to feel that comfort. He longs for you to feel his presence. And, and this feeling can be elusive, right? It's, it's the kind of feeling that people have given their entire lives to chasing because it is the best thing that there is. It is the most valuable thing that there is. It's the most comforting thing that there is. It's the most joyful thing that there is. It's the most peaceful thing that there is. It's the best thing that there is. If, if God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory, we can, we can also have comforted, we can also be comforted because uh, we know that there is a day coming when we won't have to ask God to meet our daily needs. We know that there's a day coming when we won't have to ask God to forgive us our trespasses because we'll have been resurrected into perfect purity. There's going to be a day that comes when we won't have to ask God to deliver us from temptation and evil because evil will be destroyed and your heart will only long for goodness and truth and beauty. Can you imagine? So part of the comfort of this proclamation is that your kingdom, your power, your glory, it actually is coming. This, this kingdom of this world, which seems so real, is far less real. It's far less stable, far less solid. The kingdom of heaven, which will last for eternity is the real thing, and it is for you. So you can be comforted when you feel like this world is winning. We have a, we have a couple more weeks of the semester, um, but this is sort of our, our conclusion of looking at the Lord's Prayer itself. We're going to continue to talk about prayer. I, I, hope, you, I hope you'll keep coming. But I, I, I kind of want to just speak plainly to you here at, at the end. And, and I... 
I just want to tell you, I, I know you're tired, and I'm tired. I know there's things in your life that are uh, frustrating and irritating to you, and I'm frustrated and I'm irritated too. I know there's things in your life that have broken your heart. And I've had my heart broken too. And I just want to invite you to come to Jesus. I want to invite you to come to Jesus. If you can sum up Jesus' posture towards you in one sentence, it would be, come to me. And if you don't know how to do that, here are some words to pray. He teaches us. He lets us into this secret. So we're going to come to him together right now. Uh, we're going to say this Lord's Prayer together. And as, and as you say it, I want to remind you what, what you're doing. I want to remind you that you are taking on your lips the words of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which he gives you as a gift. Because he longs to include you in the intimacy that he has with the Father. That's what we're doing with these Sadie's words, okay? And it is for his glory, but it is for our good because he loves us. So would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.